What's up, Hello Latino fam? Oh, y'all, I have... No tengo palabras. I have no words to describe how beautiful and dope this episode is. Today's guest is Jonathan Mida. He's co-founder of Rise On. And if y'all remember one of my former guests, Chris Gates, John is his business partner. So, small world. So, John, he is an ICF credential coach and a certified deep transformational coach. And he's on a mission to empower individuals and communities to embody their best self from the inside out. In this episode, I really am left speechless as John tells a story about familia, healing, spirituality. From his childhood in Miami to traveling the world to his work with Rise On, you'll learn so, so much from him, and I know you'll 100% be inspired. Get his food in. I was thinking about it after the fact and I was like, I had my first two Cubanos on, like Cubano men. I had like a Cuban woman, but I was like, oh, I have my two Cuban men on the show. You guys are my back first to ones. Back. <laughs> <laughs> back to back. I know. But I'm really excited to, to meet you, have this conversation with you, hear more about your story Likewise. and hear more about what you do now. Mm. So I'm excited. Uh, we're going to start with the first question and that's how do you identify and why? Yeah, that's that, you know, you sent me the the question beforehand. And, and um, it's interesting because I guess I guess when I introduce myself or when people ask where I'm from, I, I do lead with uh, Cuban, Cuban American. And uh, but I also identify as Latino. But but most of all, I mean, my, my lived experiences of a human being, you know, I when I'm interacting with people, I don't carry around around that identity of, of, of a Latino or a Cubano. You know, it's um, I'm a human being uh, communicating with another human being. Yeah. And you were, so so I'm going to go, I'm going to go into like different, I'm going to be all over the place, but you were born in, in, in Miami. Did I get that right? Or were you born in, okay. You were born in Miami and I'm just curious. So we're jumping here into your, your story, your background and your Latinidad, but we talked about this before we started recording, but (laughs) you were born in Miami and I assume you were also raised there. Born and raised in Miami, yeah, uh, to uh, an entire Cuban platoon of human beings, my, my parents, my family, uncles, aunts, cousins, um, everybody, you know, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I could jump into it, but, but I'll, you know. Yeah, yeah. let's jump into it. I'm, I'm very <laughs> curious because I know, I, I've said this, I said this to Chris, but I was like, I was supposed to go to Miami because I, my whole family's over there on my dad's side. And Every time they talk, it's so funny because they would come over to, to our place in San Diego and they'd be like, you guys talk like Mexicans. You guys don't talk like Hondureños anymore. And my dad was laughing. He's like, well, you guys talk like Cubans. like." <laughs> and we were just like laughing, right? Because we're heavily influenced by the environments that we're in. And so I'm, for me, I'm like, when I imagine Miami, I have like a very, probably a very, very stereotypical picture of what Miami looks like. But I literally imagine it like, there's hella Cubans walking around. <laughs> so just, yeah. you know, like, I just want to know about your childhood and, and about growing up in, what did you say? The 305? In the 305. <laughs> in the 305. That's, that's in reference to a, a podcast I started. In, and so just a quick uh, parenthesis, I, I also lived in four different continents around the world. And so when I came back to Miami mm-hmm. after many years away, I started a podcast called uh, Waking Up in the 305. Um, and I, we can maybe touch upon that later on, but yeah, it speaks to the area code, uh, that, that in Miami. Right. And, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's so interesting because Miami, Miami is uh, stereotypical in many ways when, when you live here, it, it, all the things that, that, that you read about and you see in terms of Miami vice and the Cubanos and all that, it, it's, it's all there, but there's also, you know, many, many nuances that, that go unnoticed, but you know, that, that's neither here nor there. My, my family, um, came over, well, my dad um, came over, both my mom and my dad essentially came over the early 1960s. And my mom came when she was about four years old. My dad came when he was 16 years old. And, you know, my dad, just prior to my dad coming to, to Miami, he had gotten arrested for no reason whatsoever. But he was simply walking the streets with um, his two friends and cops stopped him. Oh, in he Cuba? In Cuba, in La Habana. And, and he, yeah, he had no idea why they stopped him, but they put him in jail and he was in jail for a couple of days. 
And the moment after that happened, you know, imagine the family was was extremely scared and frightened. And mm -hmm. and so they, they shipped him off to Miami without them leaving with him. And so this 16 year old guy who had never been out of Cuba before gets sent to a foreign country, a foreign place. And um, and he had to figure his way through. You know, there was a few family members that he had and, you know, to get him started. But but it was a really scary time for him. Um, and fast forward through that, he ended up spending, he ended up getting shipped over to New York because basically there was a program in Miami that, that, that would allocate or get the, the Cubans that come jobs and get them, you know, settled into, into, into the city. And because there wasn't work in the early sixties, they shipped them off to New York to find some work. And so my dad actually spent 14 years, um, in New York city where he put himself through college oh, and wow. all these different things. Yeah. And uh, my mom's story is, is she, yeah, when she was a little girl, um, she came over with, with my grandmother and um, her dad had abandoned her just before they came over to, to Cuba, I mean, to Miami from Cuba. And it was, it was just my grandmother and my mom. And, um, you know, she, there's so many aspects of her story that, that are, that are crazy um, in terms of her coming of age here in Miami as a young girl living alone with a you know, with a not present mother and, um, you know, having to, to work and go to school, high school at night. So she didn't even have like a normal high school experience. And, you know, both my parents had a, had a, had a really difficult time uh, adjusting at first. And, um, and yet through a lot of hard work, through a lot of perseverance, they, they came out the other end and in many ways um, lived the American dream, like many of our, mm -hmm. um, you know, families um, do that come to this country that's the latino hustle right there <laughs> yeah 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 no the latino yeah. hustle, household is real you know it, i mean the hustle is real you know it's um it's it's working for jobs and putting yourself through college while you're learning english it's going to night mm -hmm. school because you have to work during the day to afford you know a living um you know, it's, 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 it's being, being afraid of a new culture and fitting in and, um, needing to do things that you never had to do before. It's, it's all these things, right. And it's also persevering and starting a family and, and integrating yourself fully, uh, into this country and making it your own and falling in love with this place, you know? So yeah, it's, it's the Latino, Latino Cuban story here. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's always just, it's funny because when I first heard of my parents' story, and I'm kind of curious, did you did you know your parents' story like when you were younger? Or did you ask them after the fact? Like, how did you come to find out these stories? Man, pieces, pieces throughout the years. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not like it's not like they ever sat me down and said, hey, you know, one day this is what happened. Here's it my was story. Like, <laughs> you know, it was like, <laughs> it was it was an accumulation of the years, maybe asking questions, maybe certain anecdotes, and then and then putting together the, the, the pieces. Um, throughout that time but yeah yeah it wasn't um yeah, yeah it was like that, was, that. that was that's what I was gonna say that I'm like we don't really find out our parents stories unless it's like again in pieces right like I remember I say this story all the time because it's just so funny to think about it but I was reading this book I can't remember the name of it but it was about La Tren de la Bestia which is a train that my dad actually came on but it's a train that runs from Central America to Mexico Idai, you know, like they come to the United States is like, you know, a form of coming over here, um, especially for Central Americans. And I was reading this book and I was like so fascinated by it. And I remember like telling my dad, I was like, Papi, no lo vas a creer. You know, there's this like Honduran in the book. And I was like, you know, talking to him about all these things I was learning. And he was like laughing. He's like, yeah, he's like, I came on that train. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? And then that's when that's that conversation sparked. And I learned more about how he came here and his struggles and all of that. But it's not again, it's not something they sit you down there like, let me tell you. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me tell you a story. No, not at all. At least it, that wasn't the case for, for neither for you nor for nor for me, you know, and um, it was a curiosity over the years, you know, that, that at least for me came out and asking, you know, my, my both my parents at different times questions like, Oh, how did you know how did how did you met you moved to New York like at 16 and you had to you had to support your parents and and learning of my dad working 4 a.m. shifts picking up trash in in New York City um, and and I also learned of of him eating fried chicken every day for like four months because it was the only thing he knew how to say 
until finally there was a Latino waiter who, who asked him, Is, do you want something else? Because we have more things on the menu outside of fried chicken. And him, him being like, no way, you speak Spanish. You know, and it's my and it's my mom, my mom being traumatized with peanut butter and eggplant because when she first got to this country, they would give her these little boxes um, that the main items on them were were peanut butter and eggplant. And so, to the, you know, for her whole life, she um, she couldn't have it anymore. <laughs> She's like, no, that, that oh my me, God. you know, because it reminds it, me of that. It's time. so it's so wild. Like it just it blows my mind to think like our families really came here and started a new life where they didn't know the language. They didn't know the culture. They didn't know, like, just to imagine that. And like, I've traveled here and there. And to me, it's like, I spend a week somewhere and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like stressed, you know? But like, to spend your whole life somewhere completely different, it just blows my mind. Yeah, can you can you imagine, you know, all of us just get shipped off to like China or Japan or Russia and and, yeah. and and they don't have they don't they don't speak English or Spanish and and we just we have to adjust to their culture, to their language. It's you know, we 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 can't imagine that necessarily. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. and, and and many of our parents left, you know, you know, it, willingly, even though they if it was almost like they got pushed out, but you know, it, it, it it's like, man, we wouldn't, we wouldn't put ourselves in that situation, but that goes to show how dire the situation was back, back in their home, home country to, to, to leave everything that they knew behind and take the risk of not knowing the culture, not knowing the language, because it was um, speaking to a a, a more promising future than they had access to. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm, I think about this all the time and trying to define, right. What the American dream really is. And, you know, I've asked my parents and both of them had very different answers. My mom was like, well, you know, I had everything in Honduras. So for me, the American dream didn't mean anything. I was literally escaping an abusive relationship. And that was her only her only push to come here. And my dad was like, for me, the American dream doesn't mean having all the money in the world. It just means like living in peace. Like he said he would go outside of his home in Honduras and he'd feel scared, like who's around, what's going to happen. And he's like, I can go out of our home and feel safe. And like that to him is like, that's my American dream. And I was like, wow, like, you know, like it means these different things to different people, depending on their situations, wherever they came from. Yeah. 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 And you know, my, my dad was older, he was 16, but still he wasn't thinking about leaving Cuba. It was more his family saying, we got to go. And my mom was too young to even have her own <laughs> thoughts on the matter. And so it was, they, they were presented with the American dream rather than choosing mm-hmm. it. Um, and then from that, just really appreciating, um, you know, the, 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 the opportunities that came as a result of, of literally starting, starting at the bottom with absolutely nothing, 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 no money, no, um, no, no, um, limited education, um, no language, and and being able to become vice president of the bank, be, being able to become a top realtor in, in Miami. It's like, what? Like, in what other society can you do that? You know, it's, um, it's that, yeah. that, 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 that's the, their life represented the American dream. It was, it wasn't so much the thought of the American dream. It was the freedom that came from uh, being mm-hmm. in this space for them. You know, and, and then having children that, you know, they can send to, co- to, 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 high, to, to school and to college and, and mm-hmm. give them a chance to have a beautiful life, you know, and that, that's what they, um, what they fought so hard for their whole life. Yeah. And speaking of their kids, so John, tell us about your story. So we hear your parents and we know where you come from. That's, you know, that's your story too. But talking about you, talk about your childhood, talk about your story. Yeah, there's so many there's so many angles um, that that can be taken <laughs> to this, right? Because there's there's different narratives that can be painted. You know, I had um, with with my my parents um, gave me the best possible life they could. No no question about it. I mean, we it, we didn't always have a lot of money, but they never allowed me or my two older brothers to feel like we were lacking, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, 
So even though we didn't have, they always, you know, had, we always had food on the table. They always made sure that, that, that we had, you know, that we can go see our friends and we had opportunities to go, to go do things, you know, different things, even if they were subtle, like going to the park or something. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I grew up in Miami, deeply immersed in a Cuban culture. You know, my, 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 you know, my years were spent, you know, Noche, looking forward to Nochebuena and Lechon and, and with Moro and, and you know, uh, growing up with Café con Leche and, and, and Yuca. And like just I was completely immersed oh, yuca. in you know, all of that. You know, it's, it, it, it makes my mouth water, you know, and, uh, and having primos and tias and, 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 and tios and all these different things and these quirky Cuban characters that, that were a part of my life. Um, and so, so growing up, I was, I was a really uh, carefree kid. I was uh, hyperactive. I was full of energy, full of life. Um, loved to have fun, loved to, to adventure, um, loved to explore. I remember every Friday coming home from, from, from school and creating forts in my house. And I would create different rooms <laughs> in the forts and stuff like that. And while my mom made sopita de pollo or made like, you know, something in the background and like the smells of the kitchen coming to life while I was watching Batman in one of my rooms and playing with action figures and, you know, another little room in the, in the fort. And, um, you know, so that that was my really early youth in terms of me remembering it. Um, and then and then as I entered into the double digits and then into my teenage years, you know, I grew up in a household where two parents that were deeply traumatized in many ways, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. obviously from this, from the macro standpoint of fleeing a communist uh, dictatorship, but also from a more micro standpoint from having uh, imperfect parents themselves, um, you know, that, that, the, 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 the impacts of that started to come out in, in the family dynamic and, you know, they had a really tumultuous relationship. Um, my mom was cheating on my dad for many years. My dad started to to struggle at work and he lost out on, on several opportunities. And so his economic uh, foundation was, was crashing. And then my mom had to take over the sort of breadwinning duties, which shifted the dynamics in the house. And, you know, it started to create a really dysfunctional family environment where, um, you know, me and my brothers were absorbing all sorts of unhealthy stuff, you know, and, and, you know, our sense of self was starting to emerge from this fractured environment. And, you know, I remember, I remember, you know, it was like this carefree kid up until I was 10 years old. And then at around 10, 11, just starting to feel really sort of broken and like something was wrong with me. And so I remember that, feeling that and and trying to hide making sure that others couldn't see that i was that i was experiencing that and so you know from that uh, sort of mask was formed where you know my subconscious mind created this outward appearance of the cool kid and the kid that was popular and the kid that was you know had little girlfriends and had a bunch of friends but but inside i was i was deeply hurt confused fractured and and so I went through my youth um, <laughs> trying to make sure that nobody could see that that aspect of me and and certainly not not, not see my household. I, I was ashamed. I didn't want I, w- I spent all of my time in my friends houses, but I never wanted my friends to come over my house because it was a weird environment where I had a, a, a the abuelo living there who was super weird. And then I had an abuela that would come and she was crazy. And my parents were together, but not together. And they were, you know, it was, it was, it was, it, it was a lot, you know, and, and I felt a lot of shame towards my family unit um, as a result of that. And I tried to stay away from it as much as possible and be with friends and in their households and families um, as much as possible. So I'll stop there. Cause I could <laughs> ramble on. Certainly. No, I mean, please continue. I, it's really interesting to hear because I think like one of the things I was hearing as you were talking is this is really common. Like our families, one, never tell us what's going on, right? Like whether it's yeah. financial struggles, like I, like that was the same with me. I never knew I had any financial struggles because to me, I was like, I had the most like, I felt spoiled, right? I had like all the love, food, like attention. Like I had everything I thought made one, you know, I didn't even think about what rich meant, but I was just like, I felt like I had everything. 
And then that's there was a turning point, right, where you start to figure out, wow, there's a lot of stuff that they've hidden away. And then it makes you feel a type of way. You're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. what is life? And you just start questioning a lot of things. And so I'm like, just kind of like listening to your story and thinking of this is so common in, in our in our cultures. They they hide a lot and not it's it's all well intentioned. You know, it's not like they're trying to hide it. They just don't want to bring you into that. Yeah. Yeah. It was that part of not wanting to bring us into that. And then them staying together so much longer than they should have because, you know, they feel like, you know, it's almost it's almost like the idea of the family unit is more important is more important in their eyes than the actual dysfunction yes. happening, happening within, you know, and it's and it's like, are you guys crazy? You guys shouldn't have been together for the past 20 years. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, my God. Literally, you, know? you said that. And I was like snapping can't see that's so true right and it's i talk about this all the time but i'm like our families a lot of latino families or maybe you know it's immigrant families who knows like who knows what where the common denominator is but what i see happen so much with latinos with my family is they it's all about image how are you presenting yourself, right? Like, don't ever talk about what's going on at home, about your fights with your sisters. Don't ever talk about anything happening in the house. Like, what's it's basically like Vegas, right? Like, whatever happens in the house stays in the house. Like, you don't Absolutely. walk away and tell friends. You don't tell your tias. You don't. You don't even tell like anyone else outside of our immediate family unit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that became that became suffocating. That became suffocating because my. I couldn't talk about my dad's financial struggles. I couldn't talk about, I, I didn't even know how to articulate what the hell was even going on. Cause I couldn't, right. I, I couldn't, I, I didn't even know. I didn't know anything that was going on. You know, my, my mom was with some guy that she ended up marrying after later on. And you know, she was, it's just, it, it, man, my, my situation was so effed up in so many ways because like my, you can my, curse on here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so my situation was very fucked up <laughs> because, because the, 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 you know, it's on the one hand, my dad was very much about saving face and making sure that everybody on the outside thought that everything was cool. And my mom mm -hmm. kept the family unit together more from the standpoint of she was uh, an only child whose father abandoned her, who then got molested by three different guys that my grandmother brought home and sexually abused by three different guys that my grandmother brought home. And so she was, oh, she was carrying around with her this, this feeling of, A, I'm going to be abandoned. B, I'm not good enough. C, something's wrong with me. And, and so she yeah, kind of, yeah, so she was not happy in the marriage with my dad, but she didn't want to separate from him because she didn't want us to be separated in any way. She had an idea that if they broke up, then she might lose mm -hmm. us in some sort of way. So she almost kept my dad on, uh, almost like a nanny at times because she was the breadwinner, you know, and and then she would like ship us off on like a trip to Disney or like a trip to, 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 to the West Coast of Florida and like all these little trips so that she could spend time with her, her lover, you know, essentially, you know, and so we were living this lie all these years, week after week after week. And, you know, my parents were sleeping in the same bed, but yet we never really did much outside of certain dinners throughout the week as a family. Wow. So we, weekends were never spent as a family. Weekends were spent like me, my brothers and my dad or, you know, maybe us with our grandmother or other parts of our family. But my mom, like, you know, she tried to like have her weekends for, for herself because she also never had a childhood. She never had a youth. She never got to right. experience what that was like. And so that was she was a young woman. She was a young mother. She had my my oldest brother at the age of 21, you know, and so she lost that opportunity. And she when she mm -hmm. when she started making money, she started accessing this sort of freedom and this part of her that never got expression. And so, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. as, a, as a young guy who didn't understand that as a young kid, I resented my mom for not being at any of my basketball games, for not being like all the other moms that are always around. But then as I grow, as I grew older, I have so much love and empathy for her because I realized what she was, she, she loved us and wanted us around and she needed to express herself as a woman, you know, and have her own freedom. And so it was, it's complicated. <laughs> it's very and complicated. And, yeah. And work through that trauma, right? Like yeah. there's one thing that I always say is that there is no perfect way to do things. 
And although like for someone who doesn't see the what's going on inside, let's say like your mom, right? From the external eyes, it's like, why is she doing all that? But when you actually have empathy and you start to hear her story, you're like, oh, (laughs) you know, like you start to understand that trauma and how it really is something that people have to work through. And I'm even curious, like, what do you think about generational trauma? Oh, that's the realest. No question. That's every. That's the realest thing in the world, in my opinion, and 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 in many ways. And I, I could speak to this at some point because I, I, I did. Yeah, speak uh, to it now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Speak to it now. So, so at the age. So speaking to my story of like feeling like I'm broken and that, that that there's something wrong with me and that nobody can see me and creating these masks of the cool guy and da 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 da. Um, at the end, when I was 19 or so, that mask got shattered. The armor that I had accumulated had shattered when I got into an, a, a sort of fight with one of my best friends uh, over a girl. And it's sort of like it, it caused me to reflect in a way that I never had. It also caused me to confront all sorts of shit I had no idea I had inside to the point where I, I went to my mom and I was like, there's so much there's so much. And I don't know what to do. I need to see somebody. I need help. Um, and she, she, she guided me towards a, a therapist that, that she had seen before and that other friends of hers had seen. And, and so that was the first day of the rest of my life, because that's really where my journey started. And, and it, this ties into generational trauma. I, I didn't have any idea about generational trauma until many years after that, but it began my own healing journey that started to peel back the layers that, that I realized weren't all mine, <laughs> that I realized were, were, were some of my mom's, were some of my dad's, which in turn were some of their parents, which in turn, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, that, that journey of, of beginning to confront, uh, you know, myself in that sort of deep way, confront my, my trauma, my wounds, um, it started to open up a new realm within me that I didn't know existed. You know, when I, when I first went to see the therapist and, you know, he started, he, he, he did a combination of, of mindfulness stuff, of cognitive behavior therapy, of, of, of hypnosis. And this was back in, I don't know, 2006, seven more or less. And so, and on top of that, I grew up in a, in a extremely Cuban uh, society where like, you don't talk about your feelings, very machista. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, I was going to ask, I was like, oh, how is that with your family? Cause I know yeah. your mom referred the therapist, but yeah, but I, it was it was it was just not not something anybody did not something that anybody around me certainly not anybody in my high school or college um, spoke about and so I was kind of on my own just like <laughs> I was like doing do it yeah I was like just stepping into this world of like what is this what's going on I'm confronting all this stuff I'm getting hypnotized I had no idea what that was a couple moments before and and <laughs> and it was the first experience in my life where with this person there was a separation between me and my thoughts and my emotions. And then, mm-hmm. and then that experience of that separation ignited something so profound in me that I, that has been with me ever since. And that was a deep hunger to understand who I really am at my core beyond identity, beyond, you know, uh, my history, because it was something that I was accessing you know, and so in that moment, that's where I started to devour every possible book I could find in the psychology, spirituality, and philosophy section. That's where I started to learn to meditate. I remember, I remember it was again early on. People weren't talking about meditation at all back then, mm-hmm. and so I found a meditation teacher in Miami that I started to see, and it was it was almost like I started to live these two separate lives where. You know, I would hang out and do like the normal things with my friends, but like on the side, I'd be going to learn to meditate and having these other experiences. But I, I wouldn't tell anybody because I don't know that that's just weird. What is that? What do you do? You know, what are you into? Are you in a cult or something? You know, like all that nonsense that people that don't understand uh, or what or, or that I didn't right, or I, right. that I didn't even know how to explain at the time. I didn't even know how to explain it at the time, but I knew I was drawn to it, you know, and so that that became the focus of my life, you know, and so that basically what what started to happen there for me is that as as I as I was exploring deeper within me, what what started to happen was I was waking up to that deeper realm and I woke up also to the fact that I was a fish in a fishbowl. I literally was was unaware 
and then I was aware that I'm a fish in a fishbowl and I was becoming aware of the of the vast ocean that was out there. And so that 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 realization that I'm a in a fishbowl and I'm trapped and B, that there's a vast ocean out there with a whole universe of things that I want to explore, but I have no access to because I'm in a fishbowl became mm-hmm. really distressing for me. <laughs> and it became it became this point of almost extreme suffering because I did, I couldn't escape. I was like in this internal prison um, to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, I left everything behind. I quit a job that I had just gotten promoted in. I was around 23 at the mm-hmm. time. Um, gathered all my savings and I went backpacking through South America uh, because it was the only thing nobody, again, nobody, nobody in my environment had ever done something like that. And I don't even know where the hell that came from, to be honest. I, I, (laughs) I I just knew, I just knew I needed to leave. I just knew I needed to get out. And so, and so I did that and man, I mean, my life has, has never been the same ever since I made that choice. How was that trip? I'm so curious because for some reason in the back of my mind, I've always thought like backpacking through South America is like a dream. <laughs> like I would love to do that. So I'm like you saying it, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like very curious how that experience was not just from like you experiencing all these different cultures, but from your own spiritual journey, right? Like how was that for you? How was that a turning point? Man, and I'll tell you where 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 the, the first where it really turned and it's turned before I actually left. It turned the day that I quit my job. I, I, and the day that I quit my job, something extraordinary happened where I went to my boss, told them that I'm quitting. I didn't even give a two weeks notice, um, explained what was happening, what was going on. She was very understanding. And when I was walking back to my desk, I called my best friend who I had worked with, uh, in a, in, a, in a real estate development sort of company as I was in college and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he just so happened to have been at lunch with uh, my ex-boss, which was still his current boss. And <laughs> while, while he's on the phone with me, he's telling her about what's going on. Like, oh, Johnny's quitting and, and you know, he wants to go travel and he's going to, and she's like, oh my God, put me on speaker. Let me talk to him. And, <laughs> and, I, told, and I told her what was happening and, and, and it was October and I wasn't going to leave until January of 2011. It was October 2010. And and basically what I told her, I was like, I'm quitting now because I just can't take this anymore. But I, I am going to look for, for a job in these com- coming months just so that, I, you know, I, I'm not just eating away at my savings. And she's like, no way. Well, I needed somebody to start yesterday at this gig here at this job. And can you come in tomorrow? And so it was what was crazy, what was extraordinary about this moment for me was that I made a decision that was not rational in any sort of way. That was just something that I felt I had to do that was deep inside of me. And I didn't know how it was going to work out. I didn't know if it was going to work out. And the moment that I took the step and said, I'm quitting, life presented to me or communicated to me that it's got my back. Literally one day I quit the job. The next day I had something that, that allowed me a, the freedom and flexibility in my day-to-day to still plan my trip and not be bogged down by work, 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 um, but also gave me a, a, a little salary that I could make before I left. So that in that moment, I got in my car after I had that conversation. And to this day, I've never had a more elevated, euphoric um, feeling experience than I did when I got in my car. It was like every... It was like that scene from Aladdin where the genie gets freed at the end and he gets un- <laughs> unshackled and he's, you know, yeah. completely free. That that feeling wow. just took over every single cell in my body. And I was crying. I was, it was just something, it was so much energy that I couldn't even contain. Um, and it was, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. So much so that I had to like, I had to go to the ocean. Uh, I went on a kayak. Right after work, right after I quit, because I needed to be somewhere out in nature. I needed to, I don't know, just like do something with all this energy that that you know it was like right. two p.m. two p.m. on a Tuesday or something, you know. And so it was that. That I was will. yeah, exactly. And that was that was that that really was the. Then from that moment, then I go to then I, then I go to South America, and you know I'm encountering again. I'm coming from a little bubble, little Miami Cuban bubble, where you know everybody's kind of. You know, go doing doing the thing, becoming an accountant, a lawyer, a, a business person, and, and starting a family, and getting the white picket fence house, and 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 going down that route. 
and then I'm out, I'm out in the, in the, in the jungles of, of South America, encountering people from all over the world, living all sorts of different yeah. ways. Um, how, how was that? Sorry, I don't want to interrupt yeah. the story because it's so interesting, but how was that experience? Cause I'm, I'm like hella inspired. I'm like, Oh my God, that's like such an amazing spiritual path and journey for yourself that you decided to take. How was that for your family? Did they react? Did they like think anything of it? Did they like, I'm just curious, right? Because for a lot of people who are born of immigrants, I feel like one thing that tends to happen is that they're too scared of instability and they end up slaving at a nine to five or they end up sacrificing some of their own passion projects, dreams or goals because they know they're like, our parents came here so that I can have X, Y, Z, right? And so I feel like there's that turmoil inside a lot of people. So I'm really curious, like, how did your family react? I, I was surprised. I was expecting I, when I was like, holy shit, how am I going to tell my family that I'm, that I'm doing this? Like, they're going to think I'm crazy and they're going to push back and they're going to, you know, want to say no, even though they can't because, you know, I'm my own man, I have my own money, you know, but, but either way, being a Latino, you're like a baby your whole life, right? Like, you know, you right, like, right. your parents, your parents you want to be like, I'm grown. You know? You're like, no, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but they, they were, they were, they were super supportive. They were really supportive and they, they, you know, they, they were realizing that I was on my own journey on my own path. And I had communicated to them, you know, already that, that this was something that I needed to do. And, and, and really at the end of the day, what they wanted was to see me happy, you know? And so, so they're like, go for it. This is something, you know, be safe, be careful. You know, I, I think you're crazy because <laughs> who, who does That's that? Loquísimo. But, <laughs> but, but go for it. Go for it. If this is something that you're feeling, go for it. And so that, 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 that sort of uh, emotional um, support was, was huge because, because it gave me even more freedom to just go all in and, and to be like, right. okay, this, this is what I'm doing. This is, I don't need to be thinking about anything else, you know, and, um, and it was, it was amazing. And then the actual experience, I mean, dear Lord, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, I spent, I spent four months or three and a half months teaching English in a small uh, town in Chile. And I got to explore all of Chile. I lived in an eco yoga park in Argentina and got to explore all of Argentina. I, you know, spent weeks on end, uh, trekking through, uh, Peru and Bolivia and, um, did ayahuasca in the jungles of the Amazon. Um, you know, it was, exp- it was like this whole universe of, of, of things that I had never heard of before that now are like more common and people are hearing more about. Um, I was discovering, you know, and, you know, it was, it was, uh, uh, I don't know, a renaissance, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. an awakening, uh, everything, you know, and, um, that that really set the tone for everything that that was to come after that because because then I had and and I mean there's a, a million stories of course during my my that year going through South America, um, and we you know we we can ask whatever you want but then after that I was like I need I, by the end of that trip I was running out of money my my plan was to so I basically started in Peru went to Bolivia went through Chile Argentina then I was I was curling my way back i was going to go through brazil long story short i basically brazil rejected my entry and i couldn't enter brazil uh because of some visa yeah because of some visa mess up Uh, but it was meant to be because the experience i came because of that was just unbelievable and i was gonna curl my way and go back up through north south america and then make my way through central america uh, and I, I wanted to finish in Cuba, actually. That was going to be the plan. But what, what started to happen was I was running out of money, as it happens, because yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't really making money, even though I was like staying in places for free and, right. and volunteering and doing all these different things. And so I was like, man, how can I stay out in the world and still make money? And uh, lo and behold, as along the way, people kept telling me about teaching English in South Korea. <laughs> and I, I had, at that point in time, I, I didn't know anything about South Korea. I had no, nothing, no idea, no understanding that like South Korea, what the hell is that about? I just knew it in relationship to North Korea and it was like a foreign place. But as my journey was coming to an end and I needed money, I was, I started to listen and I was like, ah, oh, let me, let me look into this whole South Korea thing. And sure, long story short, I ended up applying to a position to teach English over there. I get it. And I ended up moving to South Korea for two years, um, 
And when I'm in South Korea wow. for two, two years, that was another <laughs> story unto itself. But that's also where, while I was there um, teaching and I was also, you know, continuing to explore myself and learn and, and, and travel and all the things, I discovered um, the profession of coaching, which I hadn't heard about before. I hadn't been privy to, but I, I realized that there was basically a whole industry of people that were supporting others more or less going through a similar journey that I was going. And I was like, I could do that. I could do that for yeah. a living. I, I can, I could be that role for other people basically to help them do what I've been doing piecemeal on my own, figuring it out, like sign yeah. me up. Where do I go? And so while I was in South Korea, I, I, I enrolled in an international coach training Academy that I was in for uh, 18 months. And that was another coming of age moment where like, I was, I was just, ecstatic like learning and, and diving into the very thing that I felt I was put on this earth to do and that's to be a, a support and a guide uh, for others um, helping them to wake up to themselves and so I'll pause there because I can keep going but oh my god the story is so, I'm like obsessed with it I'm like damn I'm like this guy and like it what I love about your story is that you're so you're so open right like you're so open to what comes next and as someone who overthinks every little thing, I'm like, dang, yeah, <laughs> I'm inspired by you. No, it's it's a really that's a really amazing story. And the fact that you had your family support that you had just you were just so aware. You were just so aware of what the universe is saying of what you had to do. So I love that story. <laughs> and, you know, what I, what I can what I can share there is my pain and my trauma was so deep that I knew that the healing of it was my only way forward. Like yeah. I, I wasn't, I graduated with a degree in international, international business and marketing. And, you know, that was just like a, almost like a default degree because I felt like that was like something that I should, should do. It's more or less something that'll make me money. I, when I first enrolled in college, I wasn't thinking about my future. I was only thinking about right. my my, and many actually funny enough in many ways I've only ever really thought about my present because but it was shifted in many ways and so when it, when I was 18 19 my present was partying and being with friends and and drowning out my pain and keeping up the masks and the armor and all that and then when I went right. through the period of quote unquote waking up it was it was being in the present to what 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 I need for myself of what what's 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 the thing that's going to help me to understand what's happening and what's what's going to help me to heal and so i never was really thinking in terms of career and next steps i transitioned from thinking about partying and friends and all that to then thinking about healing and waking up and and all that so then it wasn't until coaching came that then that really had me thinking about career and the, and the rest of my life mm, got it and then that's what you that's what you do now yeah. So then, you know, so then it, 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 when I was what, when I was enrolled in that school, it, it, I, I, I meet um, my who, who has now been my mentor, Leon Vanderpool, who is a facilitator at that at that school, who was a facilitator at that school. So everybody that was in this sort of this school, this this program were located. That was the other cool thing about it. I, I mean, I was in a session with people from Kenya and from from from. Belgium and from Japan and from all over the United States. And so like I was in this place with like, you know, people from everywhere and getting to learn from them and getting to, to absorb, you know, all their stuff. And so I meet Leon and Leon has a coach training school called the Center for Transformational Coaching that supports that that trains coaches to support people undergoing deep inner shifts, deep inner transformations, which if you've been listening to the story, of course, is the very thing that <laughs> that I had been going through. So it, it, right. it, it yeah. further, you know, what started to happen the moment that I decided to quit my job and everything that happened after that were I was picking up on the breadcrumbs that life was leaving for me and like and feeling like, oh, this is where I need to be going. So I wasn't projecting what I needed to be doing. I was seeing like, oh, oh, life put this in front of me and like this is what's in store for me. And it's almost like. I really deeply feel and felt that life had a bigger mission for me than my mind could possibly know and imagine because my mind wanted to control things and wanted to, you know, its pr primary directive was safety and security where like my soul was, was alive for, for discovery and novelty and, 
you know, and learning. And it's crazy what happens when we pay attention, right? Yeah, when we yeah. actually pay attention to these things. Yeah. Now that's amazing. Yeah. So, so that, and then, yeah. And then I, what, you know, my, my, my journey continues because what happens is when I, I finally get certified as a coach and I'm, I already have clients and I'm, you know, just a, a young guy, like, you know, building up a practice and I have ambitions to continue traveling through the world. And I had this whole journey planned, you know, after my time in South Korea, uh, life throws another curveball at me. Uh, I get a text message from my brother saying that mom has cancer and, and that that was that was an uh, 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 the universe stopping moment where, you know, it was there was no question that all the other plans that I had had to be thrown away and put to the side, and I needed to go come back home, you know, to be with her. And so then I come back home and I become essentially my mom's primary caretaker for the next year and a half, which was the last year and a half of of her life, you know. And oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so that, that you know that might be, but but what, what what I knew immediately when I got that text message was because my mom my my relationship with was with my mom was really contentious growing up, especially when I became a teenager because I resented her for all the lying and all the deception and and, and you know not being there and all those things, and so I knew when I got that text message and being on the journey that I was on that this was also life presenting us with an opportunity. It was part of the healing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. To come back home and to heal that relationship. And so uh, it, there was no question that that's exactly where I needed to be. And, and as life would have it, I mean, there are, there's so many layers that I, I want to tell you. So part many of, layers I want to know. <laughs> I, I could say this, I could say this part of, part of my healing journey. So I, like I told, I was hinting at, you know, I was, I was what you could say, I was a womanizer and, and, you know, I was, I was, I, I got my, I was validating my self-worth through women when I was a young guy because of all the pain and hurt that I had inside. And I hurt a lot of people along the way that when I started this journey of, of healing and growth, I was confronted with all those wounds. And in many ways I was, I was traumatized and scared to let anybody in because I was afraid that I would hurt them like I had other people. And so I, during that journey that I was on, you know, traveling around the world and stuff, I, I had incredible people come into my life and I would push them away, you know, and I couldn't, I, I was, it was almost like I felt like I was undergoing open heart surgery and, and I was, I was too sensitive, too raw to, to, to be in a relationship with somebody. So by the time I was in Korea, by the end, by the end of my time in Korea, I felt like I had developed resilience and strength and was ready for somebody finally. And there was a bunch of incidences that led to me be ready for that, um, you know, the relationships that I had and whatnot. So then, so then when my mom gets diagnosed and, and I have to go back home, that was the only thing that I was like, ah, oh, shit, like I, I'm never going to find somebody who was on a similar journey to me back in Miami. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, I had the, this whole idea of like Miami girls and like how they were and like, you know, what they were into. And I was like, oh, you know, like this is the last place I'm going to find somebody. But lo and behold, talking about breadcrumbs, um, I moved to Miami to take care of my mom and a couple mm-hmm. months into it, I end up meeting and starting to date who now is my wife. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was com- it. completely unexpected, completely unexpected. And what, what's poetic and beautiful about that is, um, that the last year of my mom's life was the first year of my relationship with Nati and her and my mom. Mm-hmm fell absolutely in love with each other and got to experience each other and get become close to each other in a way that I couldn't have written up, you know? And so even, even the role that Nati played for my two older brothers, it was almost like the handing off of the feminine energy in in the family because, you know, my mom was the matriarch. She was the only one. And then, and then, you know, she passed and, and, and Nati became the sort of stabilizing force for even my brothers as well. Um, you know, and so it was um, a painful time, but oh, it was also, um, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable, you know. Wow. Yeah. John, your story. <laughs> I'm over here like, wow. <laughs> and now I want to meet Nati. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I just love how this whole story is about you healing. And it all yeah. goes back to the beginning, right? Like that carefree kid in Miami, just like, you know, like having this life in 
in your family and then realizing when you hit those double digits like oh there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on there's a lot of shit, <laughs> a lot of shit. and yeah. yeah and choosing to you know choosing yourself at, at at a certain age and really going through that healing journey and for it to bring you full circle back to miami that to me is just like wow that's the poetic piece like you were saying and i'm just like blown away <laughs> Yeah, it's a wild, wild journey, wild journey. And then it, just the real quick of it, I actually ended up, me and Nati ended up moving to Berlin, Germany, uh, because when my mom passed away, her brother was living in the south of Germany with his girlfriend. And so my actual professional coming of age felt oh. like it happened It happened in Germany. Uh, wild how things took place there and unfolded there as well. But I ended up finding myself you know, doing workshops for Boston, Boston Consulting Group and PayPal. And I ran my first couple of international retreats in Peru um, after that. Wow. And so it was, um, yeah, that, that period after my mom's death then became like this sort of um, professional re renaissance of sorts that then led eventually to me founding uh, Rhizon, which you spoke to Chris about a little yeah. bit last week. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the perfect segue into our, our segment, Cafecito and Chisme. I yeah. hope you have some coffee with you. I, I, <laughs> some I, I could say that I had cafecito. Oh, right. You're in Miami. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm like the time difference. I always forget. No, no. Like literally I had a little cafecito thing, but like I drank it. It's been, I don't know, 45 oh, minutes an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I drank it along the way. I was like, I don't know if you just don't drink coffee late, but I'm like, I drink coffee just that every hour of the day. But <laughs> Pretty much um, I know you probably do too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I've been, yeah. and, I ha and I went through a, f a phase that I didn't, but like recently I've been drinking a whole lot more uh, Cuban coffee in the afternoons and it's, it's been nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet. Oh my God. A Cuban coffee. But mm. it's funny. Mm. I, I always talk about this cause I just moved to San Diego back with my parents and my family, you know, is like all around San Diego. And I swear to you, like I drink so much coffee, like more, more so now than I have ever before. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, y'all are making me like obsessed. And like I, the other day I was like having a headache. I was like, oh, I didn't have coffee today. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that smell, the moment that the, the smell of coffee hits my nostrils, I'm just like little, little, little wings by <laughs> my back. <laughs> I'm like, I'm ready. I know, literally. But yeah, let's go into our cafecito and cheese portion because you mentioned Rise On. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I do want to hear more about it. Chris did talk about it a little bit, but would love to hear it from you as well. And just, yeah, tell us what you're up to and talk to us about Rise On. Yeah, I mean... I'm assuming cafecito yeah. while, you, while you tell me the cheese man. Please, please. <laughs> you know, um, as you can see, my... My journey, like you mentioned, has been all about healing and and, and self-discovery and growth. And so um, the, na the natural offshoot of that is, was, has been <laughs> to, this has been my life mission, you know, to, to, to help people discover who, who they really are, um, to heal their generational trauma, to tap into their power and potential. And so Rhizon over the past two and a half years and beyond has been um, the vehicle through which I and we, Chris and I, um, are doing that, you know, and to really accelerate the actualization of humans from the inside out. Because, you know, we realize that so many of us are trying to actualize from the outside in. We're trying to to find that, that right career and the right partner and, you know, the things that, you know, setting up our life externally to finally we can say we made it when in reality um, all of that at the you, you can reach those mountaintops and realize something's missing. And what's missing is that connection with your deeper sense of self, um, that inner peace, that inner joy. Um, and so we we have created spaces. We have created this company that that is dedicated to that, created, dedicated to creating spaces where people can find the clarity, the perspective, the community, the inner wisdom to to live an extraordinary life. And so basically what we've created is, uh, is a, a, an online gym for mental, emotional, and spiritual optimization. So basically like you would go to a, to a CrossFit class or a, or a spinning class on a weekly basis to stay fit, we've created a, a company where you can come into our spaces to become mentally, emotionally, and spiritually fit. And so we have these really amazing sessions on a weekly basis where our community comes together and gets to uh, mindfully introspect, that gets to tap into themselves, you know, where each person gets to have a date at least 
a 90 minute day every week with themselves where they can check in and they can work on themselves where they wouldn't have that space otherwise. And it's been mm-hmm. unbelievable. It's been beautiful. It's been difficult as well. I mean, starting in you know, a startup isn't easy, you know, and getting it going isn't easy and, you know, uh, working yeah. on scale isn't easy but but what drives us every single day is knowing that we're doing the work that we're meant to be doing and and solving the problems that we're meant to be solving out of curiosity how did this start did you and and chris just like did you guys meet up and then just kind of came to you were you thinking about this for a while like how did it start so while i was in germany with nadi chris came out so chris hired me as a coach a couple years before that or a year before that and he came to one of my international retreats as well. So the long, the really long story short of it is that Chris and I went to the same high school, but he's two years older than me. So he's actually in the same class as my middle brother. And, uh, you know, when the, when the older kid here, not really fr- I, I wasn't really friends with Chris. I knew who he was. He knew who I was, but we weren't friends. But then when I came back to Miami, and I love how I have, I can access parts of my story that, that are going to bring this all together. When, when I came, literally just when I returned to Miami after hearing about my mom's diagnosis, I go to a holotropic breathwork session, which holotropic breathwork is basically this, really, this form of deep breathing that gets you into an altered state and that helps you to, to release uh, deeply held emotions. So it's a really powerful experience and also one where... You know, the last place that I that I would imagine running into anybody from my Miami past would be a place <laughs> like that. <laughs> period. Right. You know, and it was in a, in a place called the Goddess Temple, so much less something like that. <laughs> and so, and so, I'm there. I'm there at this place, and I run into Chris Gates, and and I'm like, "What the hell are you doing here?" And he's like, "What the hell are you doing here?" <laughs> You know, and and and, and secrets and, out. <laughs> yeah, secrets out, secrets out, and we 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 strike up a, a conversation, and it's like you know we see how how much how much in common we have, and and mm-hmm. from there we we our relationship starts to grow and to blossom. Eventually, he hires me as a coach. Eventually, he comes on one of my trips, and eventually, he comes to see me in Germany in Berlin, and he stays with Nati and me for for six weeks, uh, in in Germany in our apartment there. And while he's there during the six weeks, you know, I have work, I'm coaching people, I'm running workshops and stuff. We're also at night um, brainstorming, like we, it feels like we should be doing something together. What can we do? What can we create? And we, we were trying to force so many ideas, so many things, and, and nothing was really landing. Everything felt like it was, it was coming from our heads and not really flowing naturally. He ends up leaving. He ends up leaving and after the six weeks, and we stay maybe another six months, Nati and I, in, in Germany. Um, and then finally, we move back to Miami because Nati has a really big opportunity in Miami. And so our time in Germany comes to an end. And there's a, there's a period in Miami where all of my clients, all my stuff, the momentum was in Germany. And so I'm back in Miami, and I kind of have to start from scratch. And there was this moment where I felt like I was in a car going 90 miles per hour towards a cliff with the brakes out and the steering locked it was that kind of feeling like my mind was like mm-hmm. code red code red but because of all the inner work that i had done because of all the breadcrumbs that life had given me there was a deep resonant voice that was even louder than that panicky voice that was saying don't worry keep going keep trusting i got you and it was it was so clear so so resonant and i had already trusted that voice enough to know that i can trust it that I, I completely let go. I didn't. I knew that something was going to come. And sure enough, one day out of the blue, I get a call from Chris. And Chris is like, yo, you're not going to believe this. And, and Chris had been doing, had started several companies before. He was doing some consulting work. And I was trying to get him to be more of a coach. I was like, man, you got, you got everything it takes to be a coach. You should be doing this. Like yeah. people, people need you. Um, and, you know, he was kind of resistant to that at times. But then he was at a party with a group of friends. And one of his in, in, in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and one of his friends mm-hmm. taps him in the shoulder uh, in, at this party and says, "Yo, Chris, you know I've been thinking about this. Me and the boys, I think we 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 all need a retreat, and we, and I think you should lead it." And it was it was that kind he of told that, the story. It's all yeah. coming together. Whoever's yeah. listening, you guys, I gotta listen to Chris's episode. <laughs> totally, totally. So you can see where the convergence of my life and his yeah. life come, come together uh, in this way. And that's that's where the heavens opened up for him. And he was like, oh, my, you know, like th- that was like what he needed to, to really to jolt him. And so 
he calls me the next day, you know, obviously I'm in this world and this is what I do for a living. And so he's like, yo, what do you think about running a retreat for my group of friends out here in the Bay? And obviously, you know, by now, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I get some, something, life puts something in front, in front of me and I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. Yeah. yeah you know, and so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's exactly what I did. And so, you know, I said, hell yeah. And we put together a retreat for his group of friends and that led, long story short, to to six retreats back to back, six retreats in five months, essentially, uh, which is pretty, wow. pretty, pretty crazy uh, to put together. Uh, we ran three retreats for all men. And then somehow, again, this is life kind of throwing us breadcrumbs. We ran three retreats yeah. for all, for all women. And, and, and oh. when the, yeah. So when the first opportunity, so after the third, after the second retreat with all men, the women in our world and in the world of these men who had attended our retreat were asking, hey, what about us? We hear about these retreats. They sound extraordinary. Everybody's having these great experiences. When are you going to make the space open to us? And uh, we were like, man, you know, they're asking for it. They want it. Why don't we put something yeah. together? You know, and of course, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're aware that we're two, two, two men uh, that, that, you know, we felt like we're not in a, that we have no business being two men in this sort of uh, world that's healing from the patriarchy, <laughs> running a retreat right. for, for women, you know? And so we were very aware of that. We were hesitant about that, but then we were like, listen, they're asking, they want it, you know, why not just do it and see what happens? Let's surrender. And so we did. And it was, it was amazing. It was beautiful. And it was, um, it was just another example of life, listening to life, you know? And so after we put that together, all six experiences, we were realizing that, you know, people, especially young uh, people of color, Latinos, the majority of our people, 90 plus percent were people of color, maybe let's call it 75 percent are Latinos in terms of our client base. Um, So, and all millennials. And so we, we were clear that there was a certain target demographic that was emerging here that we were serving powerfully. And this group were asking for spaces where they can feel seen, connected, and expanded and wanting to do so consistently. And so what, what we realized in, in, in conversation is that these one-off experiences are great, but like what happens after? How do, how do these people integrate the, the work in their day-to-day life? And so then from that is where Rizon really emerged and the idea of creating this, um, this company that, that supports people in their day-to-day so that we're a part of their life, we're supporting them, we're giving them spaces where they can look at themselves, they can work on themselves, and they can continue to work and to heal um, in the context of their life, not separate from their life, like a retreat. And and so that's what we've been working on ever mm-hmm. since, you know, and, and and refining ever since. Do you still do the retreats? We, we moved away from the retreats, although we had a retreat earlier this year, just before COVID. Um, we did a retreat mm-hmm. in Zion. Uh, Zion National Park in Utah, and it was extraordinary. Oh. It was amazing. Yeah, but obviously COVID I'm asking, hit. It. I'm asking for for myself because I'm like, oh, my group of friends would love this. <laughs> and we're, we're and we've, we're, been, we've been, you know what? It's crazy because we've been this. I'm taking this as a sign, but my friends and I have literally been looking for organizations, people, anything to like, like exactly what you're doing, doing this space where people of color can feel heard. Right. And like we can talk to each other all day about all these different things, but we're like, we just need like something. We need like a whole retreat, like of just healing, manifestation, like all the things. Right. So it's like, yeah. hmm, John, Chris. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, and, and that actually what we did during COVID. So just so you know, obviously we're, we're living in a post COVID world where, where in person stuff mm-hmm. is, is dangerous and, and not advised. But, right. 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 <laughs> We had two online retreats that were an extraordinary success. And you think, what, an online retreat? That sounds, you know, I don't want that. I, I spend enough time in front of Zoom and on the computer. Yeah. But, but the, space that, the, the spaces that we create are so unique and so intimate that you don't even realize you're on Zoom. You know, and, and so these retreats were, um, have been powerful. And so we, we are thinking of doing some more um, online retreats because people are asking for it. And so if you have a group yeah. of friends, and you want to put this um, on with them and do this, have this experience with them. We were absolutely open to that. And we have other people that want to jump on board as well. So let's do it. Yes. Let's make it happen. Yes. <laughs> um, well, speaking of that, how can people connect with you? How can people connect with 
Rizon, just so they yeah. can be aware. Yeah, go Rizon.life uh, is the website, and at Rizon.life is the handle for Instagram. And those are the two main places where you can reach out to us. You know, feel free to DM us. Um, we 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 answer right away. And um, if you go through the website, you can send us an email through there, and we're more than happy to uh, yeah to reach out reach back out and ask for you if they want to reach out directly to you. Yeah. You can, um, Instagram is probably the easiest. Uh, and that's at Jonathan Edmida, H E R M I D A underscore at the end. So I'm sure you'll have that in your show notes or whatever the case may be. And, and, um, I'll yeah. send that over to you. Yeah, of course. Well, this is the last, I know we were going over time here, but we want to do a quick closing because this is my favorite part of the episode because it just ties everything together and it's part of manifesting some good for our community. So we're going to close with a virtual brindis yes. with our cafecito, you know, yes. again, rebranding. Um, <laughs> so we're going to close with a little brindis and also just like manifest some good for our, for our Latinos, for our community. So what do you want to manifest? I want to manifest joy, inner peace and fulfillment for each and everybody listening. Oh, cheers. Salud. Cheers. Salud. <laughs> Gracias, mi gente, for being real ones, for listening to this episode, for all the other episodes you've listened to. Thank you. Thank you. So I have one very special announcement. So don't leave me just yet. In this episode, John and I talk a little bit about his company, Rise On, and all the amazing inner healing work that they're doing for the community. So, Rise On is officially the first Hello Latino sponsor slash partner, and they're offering you an opportunity to start living from the inside out. Trust me, I'm a part of it, and I love it. So stick around, and here's a little mensajito from Chris and John. Gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, Rise On. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rise On is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rise On is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life and take our well-being quiz today. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Rise on dot life. Mi gente, let's rise on. <laughs>